Welcome to the Truth Lover video podcast presented by Love and Truth Party. I am your host, Will Pye, author, speaker, transformational coach, retreat leader, and founder of Love and Truth Party. You can find out more about me at www.willpie.com. Love and Truth Party is a self-organizing, self-replicating community and movement of love and awakening, a wisdom school facilitating health, healing and happiness, liberating humanity from the matrix of fear and self-loathing. Find us and join our mailing list at loveandtruthparty.org. We exist to empower the deep realization and integration of unitive consciousness of one human being and to inspire action in the world from this clarity as new earth ninjas, our playful avatar. We do so in the spirit of play, holding the paradox that all is well, even and including all collective crises, while simultaneously being moved to act to lessen suffering and serve the creation of conscious culture and society. Our projects include distributing a million love letters from the universe, inviting people to receive the love and care in these and within the happiness acts, including the seven questions and other free resources on Love and Truth Party dot o r g i'm really happy to be joined today by a woman of many talents she's also a, a co-founder or consultant on love and truth party uh, georgie white johnson is a spiritual teacher therapist and writer based in israel together with her partner bart ten Berger, she gives trainings around the world she also offers therapy consultation sessions online Born in the UK, Georgie is author of three books, Non-Dual Therapy, A Psychology of Awakening, I Am Here, Opening the Windows of Life and Beauty, and Stillness of the Wind, a collection of non-dual poetry, and recently a fourth book, Non-Dual Passion, A Quality of Consciousness, and the rest of the subtitle I forget. An early participant in the emerging Love and Truth Party and is often the inspiration behind the I Am Here movement of awakening in the online community so welcome georgie it's wonderful to just be with you again and wonderful to have you on the show yeah it's wonderful to be with you will <laughs> it's been a while hasn't it can you yeah. can you fill the gap of my ignorance so this new book uh, which i'm really really looking forward to reading i've got i am here on my bookshelf here it's an extraordinary read <coughs> non-dual passion can you give us the full accurate subtitle uh a quality of consciousness in non-dual therapy. Thank you. So in non-dual therapy, we, we work with qualities of true nature, like love and peace, which are familiar, uh, love and, uh, sorry, truth, mm-hmm. <laughs> and peace and innocence and purity and on and on and on and on. We, we actively recruit these qualities. And uh, in the book, the first the book, Non-Dual Therapy, there is like 36 chapters in the middle in the compendium uh, examining these qualities to see how they play out as they come into the world like how innocence contracts into guilt or purity into shame Uh, and then there's an appendix at the end with another 120 qualities and contractions and some of the things that didn't get enough attention so now we're producing a series of books which focus on particular qualities so that that book is focusing on the quality of passion and it's amazing you to pick one quality like love, for example, or passion, and you open it and it's like you step into a whole universe of perception where everything seems to make sense according to that quality. They become absolute because they have this timeless nature to them, these qualities of true nature. So uh, 
for for a good period of time during the lockdown, I was in the dimension in the universe of seeing everything through perception through passion, you know, which is uh, was nice, and produced a book, which means then we can move on to the next one. But. That sounds fascinating. And we were deciding upon a, a title or a topic to frame this dialogue. And we came up with non-dual passion and the psychology of lockdown. And you've just spoken a little bit through that. Maybe you can tell us what your experience has been of exploring the world through this sort of deep, profound lens of non-dual passion, and particularly in the context of this last few months spent in lockdown in Israel. Yeah. Well, for me, the, the lockdown was an incredible relief in a way, because there was this clearance of the outer world and it was possible to, to take a lot of space in the inner world. Uh, that's how I'm built. Other people I know it's different. We can come to that. Like what gets triggered by this whole lock, horrible term, lockdown, mm-hmm. what, what, what we could face in our, in our processes uh, when we are locked down. <laughs> It's not very well marketed, is it? They needed to brainstorm <laughs> that terminology far better. Lockdown. A coming together. Uh, a, a grounding in community. There are so many ways we could perceive yeah, it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And there was some creativity there, but lockdown is what came as the collective term, the collective brand. And it's got some rage in it, like lockdown. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got a certain violence in it. It's it's a, mm-hmm. a term actually used in, in prison, isn't it? Mm-hmm. When they lock down uh, the, the prison. enough. Yeah. When the inmates <laughs> are beginning to get unruly or unruly, exactly. <laughs> there is a physical restraining of the inmates in the prison or the asylum. It's um, rich in metaphor for our current experience upon the planet. Yeah, yeah. So this, but there's this basic principle of healing, which is that when we need to realize something of a spiritual nature, it often gets shut down in the physical so that we can realize what it really is beyond the physical. For example, uh, sometimes people in their process will have been massively compromised in their vision and lose their, have their sight threatened. And then they begin to really like move out of the kind of visual norms of using the physical eyes to control a reality and the inner sight begins to open up. And then at a certain stage, there's a click and the sight comes back again. I know at least three stories like this. So there's this principle of like, and, I, and to say it really simply of healing, which is that uh, we are blinded so that we might see, we, we are deafened so that we can hear, we are uh, uh, numbed stunned physically so that we might feel there is this kind of or, or we, we are left totally alone physically so that we might find unity like in, or togetherness on the inside the grand mal seizure experience i've obviously looked into the symbology of that and to be sh- to be shaken up and um, to be out of one's body to to lose consciousness as we language yeah. it um yeah to yeah there's definitely a, a richness in to have your mind that blown experience. that you uh, mm. realize the true nature of mind <laughs> what can't be lost so how are we seeing that's, this that's actually course? about consciousness isn't it to lose consciousness so that you begin to like uh, uh, have a relationship on the inside with consciousness yes indeed there's a, a, a near death experience by sort of moving into the absence of life or the apparent absence of life there that's is exactly. this recognition and deeper appreciation of what it is 
to be alive, to be embodied. And this embodiment of consciousness, this extraordinary coming together of two apparently separate worlds of form and the formless or matter and spirit, um, yeah, getting to the, the, the heart of non-dual passion. I mean, can you tell us more? Because I, I hear the word passion often. There's two meanings that come up for me. One is the passion of Christ. Another is yep. the passion of love, the passion of enthusiasm around a particular purpose or pursuit. And uh, I'd love to hear what passion is in this use and how you see it. And it, it, am I on the right track? It, it, are we talking about the heart or, or beyond? Or well, we're, we're, we're talking about the root, mm -hmm. the physicality, that edge of life and death, uh, physical and non-physical. And passion uh, uh, is in its root, the word is suffering. Uh-huh. So the passion, the passion of Christ, yeah. But it's also the kind of descent through the physicality of being and the resurrection after that. There is a whole, the whole passion, the passion is the whole alchemy of being crucified, being utterly and totally uh, 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 rejected, banished, isolated, forsaken, uh, descending into the body, through the body, through death, and then rising up again. That's the, uh, the passion of Christ. Uh, passion is like suffering when we the magical shift in consciousness has happened so the book is really about a deep inquiry into the nature of suffering mm. and the purpose of suffering would be another way to say it the magic of suffering why do we suffer i mean it's massive isn't it it is now i'm going back into that universe of like everything is passion you know <laughs> Because everything is suffering, right? <laughs> right. And, and we suffer in order to know the end of suffering or the absence of suffering would be my glib, uh, slightly sort of bumper sticker-like uh, articulation that we, we, we suffer in that we know what is beyond suffering or that we know what is without suffering. And after we move to this, people think the end of suffering is like uh, in time. Mm. And, and that's not true. You know, the end of suffering is like when you move into, and the suffering is still there, it's spatial. So there is like a circle of suffering. And there is, out in the outer circle, there's an end to where the suffering is happening, which is like pure stillness or, or deep peace or relaxation. Or if you move far enough away from the physical body, if it's a physical suffering, there's a place as you move away from the body where the suffering is no longer felt, mm. for example. Uh, but then from that place, it's also possible to connect with the place within suffering where suffering ends. Hmm. So there's all this empty spaces within the particles of experience of suffering, because suffering, another word for suffering is also experience hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. So there's also space between each particle of sensation of suffering. There is a space between like mm -hmm. micro dots. Mm -hmm. This is all about what consciousness can do when it's free. Right. Yeah. And uh, then there is this curiosity possible because of the space, because suffering is finite. Now there's a curiosity possible. So why is the suffering? What is this suffering actually made of? Hmm. What's within it? What's its causality? What is it that is suffering? What's its what's essence? It, what's, it, what's it longing for? What's it missing? Hmm. What's it moving towards? What's it asking for? Hmm. And why would it ask? If it's, if it's asking for love, for example, why would it be asking for love? So partly you ask for love because you're made of it, you miss it. 
If you weren't made of love, you wouldn't miss it. So suffering isn't the bogeyman that we thought it was anymore. It's made of quality, awesome. Mm. But often in the, you get it like a, like a it's like precisely made of the thing it's suffering for. So love, like feeling utterly despised and rejected and banished and forsaken, that feeling itself is a kind of birth, birthing process of love through layers of form. Love is suffering hatred. Mm. Who is suffering hatred? Love is suffering hatred. Hatred is made of the suffering of love. You see? Like who is suffering warfare? Peace is suffering warfare. We are peace, suffering conflict, suffering war. If we were made of war, there wouldn't be any suffering. It would just be like home <laughs> if there was a war. <laughs> you know, and there are degrees, you know, depending on where you sit within your consciousness. But at the core of things, the suffering is intensified. The more we are, I hate to say it, the more we are free, the more we suffer, but the more we're free to suffer. Mm the more space there is for the yeah. intensity to arise within and more spaciousness can be found in the core of that intensity. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. that articulation of the particles, there's, there is space there, as solid exactly. as it might be perceived, there is a exactly. space that can be found in there. And, and you can feel the shift that makes, that means we're able to contain whole collective fields of suffering without being overwhelmed. We're no longer this separate little limited vessel that can only take so much pain in. We're now like able to suffer the whole pool of collective abandonment, for example, hmm. without and still breathe easy. And so this is timely, is it not? In <laughs> 2020 upon the planet, the psychology of lockdown, the suffering of lockdown, the, suf the suffering of a pandemic and the capacity to process in some way uh, what we might see as intergenerational trauma what we might see as what's being passed down and 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 through us yeah 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 there is so much uh, the coronavirus has brought so much catalysis of uh freedom and liberation of but often but that happens through suffering doesn't it because when a structure comes what we get liberated by f having to it come to a position where we can no longer deny that we're in prison, <laughs> that we're not free, because we can only get liberated by removing the, where we are not free. But we have to first know where that is. And you have to know where the door is and where the lock is and that you haven't got the key and suffer that in order to actually realize that maybe there's a way to open the door and you've actually got the key and to, there's a whole process there. And, uh, uh, we are all collectively have, we were 2019 January still in this blind drunken wheel of consumerism and kind of a kind of negative kind of interdependency of like addictive patterns and a deep kind of habituation with patterns of behavior which are kind of self-destructive. Mm. Personally and, and collectively. Self-destruction has a very close connection with frustrated passion. This kind of like destroying the planet, having to buy something else, getting a newer smartphone and throwing it away a year later, and eating junk food, and actually wanting the body, life to be the body, you know, destroying the body, treating it mm -hmm. like trash, trashing the planet. All, all of this. I don't want to sound judgmental, but because I'm part of it, we're all part of, of it. Of course, we can't help it. But there's this beast that was moving, 
uh, for lack of individual realization of purpose, hmm. which is very close to service and suffering. And, and of course, the addictive cycle is that the more we suffer, the more we reach out there for relief. Hmm. Like I go and see a movie or I, or I get another Netflix subscription or I go and buy stuff for shopping therapy because I felt slightly uncomfortable on the inside. And then suddenly, thanks to coronavirus and the lockdown, everything is removed. All of those distractions are removed. And there is this like only really the possibility of the inner world, which at the beginning is quite what can come forward is all kinds of structure of punishment and structures of non-freedom and a kind of rage begins to rattle inside, which is passion by made you know frustrated passion is, is rage in a way. And, and so processes start up. We have to see how family members, I mean, everyone's got their speech on this, but, but, but you can see the magic of it. It's like we are in rehab, partly from our addictive patterns with each other out there in the world, which is the reality. So the reality, this unhealthy reality, suddenly got exploded. And there was this 48 hours when... I remember the head of the World Monetary Organization says the world economy has literally stopped moving. This has never, ever happened in history. And there was this profound planetary stillness. And there was this sense of harmony between nature and humans and everything. And the world economy stopped moving. And we were still alive. From Africa to, to Nicaragua to Europe to Australia, there was this like... That's so beautiful. Like I, I talking of you know, to Mr. Gratitude, I have such a gratitude to being able to be part of that moment mm -hmm. of pure unity. There was a shift. So the world economy starts moving again and there's a fragmentation and all the shit starts to hit the fan and this one comes out of lockdown, this one goes in and each one's like, I'm, I'm the best, fuck the rest and, and, and trying to look over their own, after their own private coronavirus strategy and get the vaccine. All of that happens afterwards. But it, it, when you puncture the illusion and there is a moment where the sunlight shines through like that, it's from another kind of time. It never gets lost. It's recalled. In every single living being, it's recalled. It's accessible, it's timeless, it's a reference point. It's like there's a, a dark timeline and then whoop, there's a rupture and there's sunlight coming through and you look at history and here, look what happened there. There's this bright light shining through the history of the world as we know it. That's one point of view. <laughs> right, and we have so many points of view in yes, exactly. on, on these topics. And yeah. one of the dominant ones is a conspiratorial that there is a sort of an agenda a cabal that's causing all this for negative outcomes for humanity and i love <laughs> that you're offering something which we might say is the antithesis of that not to discount or oppose it but rather this notion of this great pause i've heard that phrase used and, and like it this this great pause that's inarguable you you you, you cannot keep moving in this personally and collectively. And I love the idea of that having this light coming into human experience in a collective sense that really is rather exquisite. And many people would have said that we should close down the economy you know, at least one day a week or um, <laughs> you know, until the planets got back into some degree of balance. But of course, there's no collective mechanism or will by which such a, an outcome should, could be engineered. And so it does seem that there is this uh, 
tangible and very real gift that's been given through this. And it feels like there's an illumination in the psychology of an individual to take on such a perspective, to try that on, that there are profound gifts of this nature within what's unfolding upon the planet right now, which might be coexistent with other perspectives and narratives, which also have uh, truth and are worth regarding. Every narrative has its own truth. But, uh, the, the puncturing of the narrative, the breakage of the narrative, the seeing through that all narratives are narratives, has a, a truth which maybe could be called more essential. Mm -hmm because it's not conclusive. Mm -hmm. It's not like that is the reality and that's truth and the reality is the light. It's just that this reality, this one that just got punctured and ripped apart, the reality that says the world economy must always move or we're all gonna die. That reality, those belief systems are not absolute. That's not the world. It doesn't have to be the world. Mm. It's just a form mm -hmm. which we collectively produced. Through our shared consensus yeah, exactly. and, and agreed narratives and beliefs. Our, our, our addiction to outer authority and for not being able to move into the core of our own, uh, the challenge of existing in the here and now. The invitation to actually realize that we are radically free, but that invitation is, because only if we're free can we take individual responsibility, which is collective responsibility. It's a whole movement. Yes. So this addiction to the hypnotic state of the collective reality, this has, is an addiction, which means that when that reality is fractured, people need to be hypnotized by something. They need someone else to tell them what's going on. It can't be that we move beyond knowing altogether, that we just don't know, and that just not knowing is a whole beginning of a journey. It's a journey of wonder, a whole attitude shift of curiosity and adventure and discovery and exploration of how it feels to be alive at all. Mm -hmm. No, they were, they're addicted to knowing and knowing if they don't, if the mind feels fucked because reality just got shaken up, then somebody out there has to know, has to be in control. And of course, some of those guys in control are the ones that make the bad stuff happen. And some of the ones are the ones that help us by telling us what's really happening. But Big Brother has to look after us because we are so young and so helpless and so afraid and so unable to take individual existential responsibility to, to, to realize that we are, we are uh, the universe. It's not out there. And maybe God doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe the universe doesn't know what it's doing. Maybe it's just this vast multidisciplinary happening with in extreme intelligence expressing itself. It doesn't mean it knows what it's doing in advance. And it's got a plan and a strategy and an agenda in some war against another universe, which is evil. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's like You see this in addiction to a certain form of drama, which recreates itself in conspiracy theories. Of all the kinds, the right-wing conspiracy, the left-wing conspiracy, the same. Because somebody has to know what's going on. And if I'm in on the secret of knowing what's going on, then I'm special. I'm safe because I know, I know what's really going on. Whether I know about QAnon, deep state screwing over the world, or whether I know, or, uh, the, because a I am trust QAnon, by the, the community yeah. of scientists who are through reason and uh, data making intelligent decisions to protect and look after us all. Yeah, that's also a belief system. There's two, <laughs> yeah. there's two extreme, equally fanciful. <laughs> 
equally quite easily <laughs> disproven narratives as to what's happening, one of which is very much towards the dark forces are in control, and the other is that the, the, the good forces are, are in control. And uh, it's clear that there's elements of truth in, in both. Yes. And, and, yeah. and perhaps perhaps neither. Uh, Nobody's uh, in control. No, nobody. Control is not the thing. It, it, it's absurd. The universe is not control. God's not in control. Who made up this principle of control? It's a helpless universe, you know. I, I remain open <laughs> to the possibility that there is a control, see, a, a control. <laughs> so far away in the, in the cosmos with some advanced beings looking at their Earth experiment. <laughs> You know, like 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 Sim City. We might be playing with Sim City in a computer game here in England yeah. or whatever. And, and people are getting glitched all over the yes, place. Yes. <laughs> let's, let's try a bomb. Let's try a whirlwind or a hurricane. I mean, you know, uh, who, let's who... glitch China. <laughs> <laughs> so this notion of control is the addiction. We're addicted to the belief in control, and it's control over what? You know. It's really interesting because to be in control, you have to be, something has to be submitting to your control. And this disbands the scientists, the so-called reasonable people. It's, it, it, it's infected us, this incredible addiction to needing to feel in control. And it's not even a mental choice to be in control. It's a, it's a whole reflex of survival. It's part of our evolution is to realize that what this control is and what it's not. There's nothing wrong with mastering stuff and, and having a sense of confidence and capability and, 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 and trying to implement a plan. Nothing wrong with that. But control took on an absolute nature. And in that moment, we, we become guilty. We, we fuck up. We make mistakes. We split from ourselves because we're screwing it up and we secretly feel utterly out of control and useless. And, and you know, and we're totally going to make a mess of everything and fail, 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 fail. And failing is not allowed, apparently, if you ask the president of America. <laughs> Although if it were, he would be the best at failing of all <laughs> failures in the entire world I'm, I'm quite sure there was a, 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 a exchange i saw recently where there was a deposition at um something with trump university and someone asked him did you or did you not say sir that you have the best memory of any human upon the planet and he said i can't remember and it was like i think he, he said he did say it but then it became that he couldn't quite remember what he had said and it was, it was just very wonderfully comical um yeah, that there is a, a humor that can be found in all of this, uh, a sort of divine humor, perhaps, in the uh, totality of the not knowing. If we were to look at this from 500 years prior or 500 years following or at the end of our life or at the start of our life, you know, to take a position that sees the totality, there, there is something inherently humorous about yeah this human unfolding yeah 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 and 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 at the same time there is this you know it's like when you laugh in the face of the most awful series of atrocities and there is this uh, incredible unspeakable horror in what's going on as well this is also part of it you know because humor releases the the stress the in the solar plexus you yeah know, partly yeah. but 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 beneath behind that there is something also extremely like pure agony in a way, pure distress, like the distress of insanity, 
and the trauma which is within that, the agony which is in that, the isolation which is within that, the uh, this spinning and this hoops of not being able to see the 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 gifts which are there. And and that's partly what lockdown is doing. It's bringing us to a place of appreciation and gratitude also for the sim- for the simple offering of nature of the world of our own life. Yes, we we see people stepping into the most ordinary of moments, but having had a, a prohibition of those ordinary moments, you know, to have a drink with a friend in a park or whatever it might be, exactly. or to just connect with a family member. And the truth of the magnificence of that was always the truth, but having had the hindrance or the prohibition of, now it's actually felt and directly realized that, oh golly, how wonderful. I get to have this connection with my family. I get to touch the grass and stretch out and take a walk without having to worry about being arrested yes (laughs) (laughs) smells (laughs) trees silence it's it, it there is there is a whole shift in perception and partly this is the genius of our collective karma it's got karma always is for us not against us we're not being punished that sense of being punished, that QAnon, that the evil dead demons are doing this to, demoncrats are doing this to, to make a, to uh, to punish us. It starts on the on the on the presupposition that we are being punished by this virus, by this moment of history, which is very much a childish feeling. We're programmed like that. That when you do something naughty or you're too rebellious or you get sent to your room and locked down, don't you? That sense of being wrong, this sense of wrongness, being stupid and being wrong is like quite a strong suffering in the collective in this whole area of lockdown. It's like this few people feel this unbearable sense of wrongness, but it, it feels unfair like crazy, sense of injustice, wrongly accused, uh, uh, and, and, and a sense of feeling stupid. Uh-huh. It's like shame and almost panic, survival panic around this sense of stupidity, which is linked to not knowing stuff. And nobody right. knows shit of what's going on because it's a new virus, but it's it's triggering this wound of stupidity, which by itself kind of fulfills itself because it has a whole neurochemistry which makes us it difficult to think and to make connections. Right. Until there's a relaxation through the stress effect of stupidity. And and that notion, that uh, Judeo-Christian myth put on to the virus as a punishment or yes. or as some sort of feedback loop I, an I, enemy a vindictive enemy a chinese right. there to fuck us over you know <laughs> like, and and I, we I, are I, being punished by god and what did we do wrong and the scream of innocence i i think there's a softer element to it as well because i, I read an article that was sort of vilified for being perceived to take that very specific you know we're being punished notion whereas what i read was that it was more suggesting that there are feedback mechanisms within this glorious biological arising and there's an intelligence to those feedback mechanisms so if i get a cold it might well behoove me to consider have i been getting enough sleep recently am i Mm -hmm. resting enough if i uh you know of course it goes on and on we were talking earlier about how we can have physical arisings that point us to a shift that might need to occur. So it feels like there might be a a helpful constructive element of this notion that in, in a in a benign way, 
uh, or, or potentially in, in a, in a you know, not neutral, actually in a positive way that we've touched on already, that the um, COVID-19, this coronavirus is literally, observably, and, and we can create the truth of this, bringing us profound gifts. Yeah. So as a feedback mechanism yeah. within consciousness, there is this means by which it's bringing a great deal. And, and, and this is one of the incredible things which it's opening up is this field of possibility of what is it? Because apparently we don't even know what a virus is, not really. And we haven't got any medical mechanistic material solution. It, you know, it's not like, hey, there's a new virus. Here's a vaccine. You know, we were, a lot of us were under the illusion that the doctor can fix stuff and apparently not. So this virus is spreading like wildfire. And then you find out, oh, we don't know shit about what viruses even are and why certain people get them and others not and how they move through the body. And there's all kinds of open questions about their interaction with bacteria. And ah, so it's a mystery what a virus is and it's at a level of resonance, the virus is moving. And according to what you see in the whole universe, everything moves according to need, to what's needed. And, mm -hmm. and the compatibility of resonance, a kind of law of attraction. And, uh, and uh, where and we are not occupying- Yes. Not what need I think it, uh, I need necessarily. No. Ne what's needed for the whole. Mm -hmm. Not what I want, but what I need. Like what's needed for the for the whole because we are the whole. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I'd, I'd venture to say what's needed in terms of deep spiritual conflicts that we're here to work through physically. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a relationship between that and illness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what is it? What is an illness, uh, a viral infection? It's an experience happening in consciousness. Mm -hmm. And... And potentially a, a virus, like the common cold, for example, or mm. uh, a, a deadly, you know, uh, 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 pneumonia or or AIDS. They've got their own atmosphere, and they bring us to certain in in the resonance of suffering which they have. They awaken a certain activity where something's not resolved inside ourselves. Mm -hmm. So with AIDS, for example, there's a particular resonance, and we all have our own relationship with the atmosphere of AIDS, HIV. Mm -hmm. But what you can say is that there's something like the, the guilt of homosexuality being one closely related shame um, of sexuality in uh -huh, general. Uh -huh. Sexuality where sexuality meets death, mm -hmm. which is like difficulty letting we're, we're, go. We're, we're straying into like multiple taboos in the, the last <laughs> 30 seconds. I can almost hear the thousands of outraged voices <laughs> that we would dare to suggest that there could be a learning potential or that we may have somehow brought an illness into our experience yeah. to learn. So that, that, that's, 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 that's the kind of fear that, that's guilt speaking, you know, that, that we caused ourselves to get sick. But, but it, that's if we see illness as a punishment and, and, and that we have an issue with suffering in general and we haven't yet opened to the possibility that we're, suffering is part of our purpose here. That in agreeing mm -hmm. to suffer something, whether it's chronic pain or a virus or any human experience, it's not about the separate me. There is a... A, a, a service, an offering, really from the, the suffering that we get, the fact that we're able to suffer it, even if we don't agree, because then we suffer also the resistance to it. This is all of benefit to the whole. It all has this incredible evolutionary purpose. And if you add to it that there is a spiritual conflict inside from, the, from a different dimension being worked through the suffering, then the service is immense. And often what you see in chronic illness, and I think you might be able to relate to this, there is this switch that happens where it's like, okay, even if I'm going to die in this, 
I'm going to dedicate it to the whole, to the service of the whole. I'm going to document it. I'm going to journal it. Oh, I'm certainly. going to share the realizations around it. I'm going to like scream my passion for life, even if I die within it, to be of benefit to others. It's going to mean something. It's going to have a point. Absolutely. And the death because itself it's becomes it's... a devotion to life. The death itself exactly. becomes a gift exactly. to, 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 to life. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a particularly exquisite element you know, with, with, with the symbology that we've touched on in coronavirus, it's respiratory, it's breathing, yeah. it's not being mm-hmm. able to be connected in that inspirational, that literal inspired respiratory functioning that is our moment to moment gift of life, this, this being breathed. And in the brain, you've got this wonderful element that uh, I've been reading a fair bit more about the latest work in uh, neurotheology and what wasn't available 10 years ago when I was diagnosed in terms of indicating the likelihood that the uh, non-dual realizations in my experience were a consequence of the upper right parietal pathway being interrupted by the tumor and and eliciting this experience. It, It was really a bit of a, it's still of course entirely speculative, but it was all the more filled in now, the research, the level of fMRI um, and and, uh, uh, various scanning capacities and ingenious studies and experimental setups that have allowed for me now to say, it's highly likely that the arising of that tumor, which may well have began when the non-dual realizations began when I was 13 or 14, played a direct neurological role in facilitating the interruption, particularly I think it's the upper, the upper right conjunction or something. I've literally just been reading about this. Andrew Newberg and neurotheology is the most glorious coming together of spirit and science, we could, we could say. And then we've got this sim- symbology that you've, you've touched on with like, different illnesses and the symbology as that operates within the individual and how that operates within the collective simultaneously perhaps yeah so you see what you're talking about is exactly that principle of healing where something gets blocked in order that something can be realized from a different dimension of Mm -hmm. uh, time and space there's a need it's possible there's a need behind it but you know in the whole area of the brain for example and and in a way the whole body is a brain it's a it's we've misconceived it as a kind of producer of effects we made it the cause like of our thinking of our mental abilities of our experience and all of this and and how would you posit it if not the the cause the whole whole body brain is uh, a a channel it's a filtering system Mm. it's a receiver Mm -hmm. and when we receive we also there's also a resonance which is a broadcast so it's like it's like a, between us and the whole universe, between the outside and the inside, between all the impressions that could come in and our experience of being alive, there is a filtering mechanism. And we have the ability to become masters of that filtering me- mechanism rather than to be the victims of it. We're not trapped. It's extremely alive. <laughs> uh, and, and part of not- that would be attention and intention. Uh, it's relaxation mostly. Right. So, and in in Zen, it's the whole nervous system thing, isn't it? It's like right, and and that that state training of attention begins with a laser pointedness, 
cultivating one pointedness, but it actually becomes uh, a total relaxation when attention can be dialed in to very precise, sustained experiences. There's then a softening within that, that that is this, that evokes for me at least, this sense of that. Exactly. The very fact that you're able to tune the radio feeds back into the relaxation because if you tune into a frequency of hell and forsakenness and agony you're able to actually really listen to what's going on there because you're totally not afraid of being stuck anymore you know that you can also then tune into the archangels and and just chill Mm -hmm. so a whole layer of the belief in slavery the belief in lockdown actually (laughs) is removed once we realize that we're able to adjust and Part of this is the realization, this this shift that happens in the conceptualization of from from being a materialistic, dualistic kind of conditioned either or mind frame, a kind of beast, it's like a computer thinking it is it is the the cause of itself, to mm-hmm. to something which is much more. Uh, but this is an instrument. It's like a, a musical instrument. This body and brain. It's a, it's. Mm-hmm. A, a, it's there to work for us, not us to work for for it. Which means that. Where, for example, silence, the quality of silence is incredibly traumatized. It's been weaponized by this conditioning so that, you know, you have to shut up and not say anything. It's a punishment. Mm. Not being able to speak, not being able to give your point of view, being told to listen and not to speak. All of this is the traumatization of silence. So the whole nerve system, when it, we, we move into silence, partly goes into a panic. Mm. Like it's of being oppressed. It's being punished. It's being suffocated. It's not being allowed to be and to feel relaxed and alive and that it's okay to be you just on the with one quality of silence and this is a whole reprogramming that happens partly through retreats and meditation when we move into silence and at first it can be very shameful and it can be awkward and it can be like fake holy and all kinds of shit and 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 partly the nerve system's resisting like hell saying no 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 and little by little the nerve system says actually this is quite yummy Hmm. it's safe it's not only safe, I'm beginning to feel more uh, existentially unthreatened. And I don't need and it's to, not be only that, uh, to be a good exactly. girl or a good boy, but it's actually I, a natural... Yeah. I don't feel banished, I feel one with this universal ocean of silence. I am this universal ocean of silence, so nothing is really threatened. And the nerve system begins to then reassociate silence now, or empty space, or freedom (laughs) or unconditional love was actually beneficial to the survival of the whole so no it's no longer panicking it's no longer going into a freeze and part of that nerve system freezes the closing down of connectivity in the brain the freezing of neural networks the kind of the the lights stop flashing in a way and of course the lights are not flashing inside the brain it's a whole field of mental consciousness and this isn't unscientific you know they're, they're, they're still asking where is memory how is communication being transferred the whole field of biophotons working neurologically as conduits of information that work both ways the whole area of quantum entanglement we don't know shit thankfully there are no conclusions there but there is this lie in the conditioned social field that we we've got it covered we got this we know exactly what the brain's all about and it's just this blob of flesh and out of this comes the whole experiences of byproduct if you're feeling love and peace then you probably took something yes yes Yes, i was reading this today that in the detailed mapping of states of mysticism for example or of profound peace or, or love or oneness 
there is a tendency among some to therefore reduce that and say, oh, well, that's just brain function or brain yeah. malfunction, yeah. which is really just a, a semantic choice, of course, because we can equally say that it's moving in the other direction. Is the yeah. brain causing the state or is the state causing the brain? Certainly there's a relationship there. Uh, it, even to say that it's just correlative, do we need to say if it's causative in one direction or the other? I mean, even to state that there's two sides is a categorical error and a categorical error in the first instance. So it's it's such a fun um, exploration, and, and I think what this book was pointing to is actually stealing fire. This extraordinarily beautiful, brilliant book, and it's pointing to how this mapping neurologically and neurobiologically of the these states is allowing us to explore that terrain in a more predictable, uh, mm -hmm. safer, uh, wiser way, yeah. which is an extraordinary gift. You know, not, not this sort of terror singularity of technology and spirituality, yes. but rather a, a growth opportunity where any individual can use a biofeedback machine to entrain mm -hmm. their brain into a state of non-dual consciousness yep. or to entrain yep. their heart body system into a state of deep peace. And this is uh, yep. tremendously exciting. Yep. And, and what's very, very interesting is that, well, you know, it's how do we want to use this organ? It's like eyeballs or ears. It's an organ of perception. It's a sensory organ, the brain. So one form is saying it's limited. It's all based on limitation. It's about knowing. It's about being in control. It's about uh, staying, getting a grip, keeping everything together in being in attunement with the reality, not that everybody knows what the reality actually is. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's full of limitation. In a way, it's full of delusion. The other one is full of infinite possibility. So if we approach the brain and it's like, okay, this is a neurological phenomena. This like this blasting of light that happens in a non-dual awakening. It's a neurological phenomenon. Absolutely true. And when we have a, a, a totally, we fall in love. It's a physiological phenomenon. You know, the, 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 the pulse changes, the, the temperature of the body changes, the whole physiology starts to move. When we're in intense shame, it's also a physiological phenomenon. But the body is not separate from anything. Of course, consciousness is an expression. And the brain is included, is, a, is an expression. So, you know, when you've got a TV and it's a dead TV, right, like a dead brain, yeah, and suddenly it lights up like a conditioned, you know, you know. Brain. I'm not going to insult any particular political persuasion, but it's a, it's a pretty dumb TV. And you plug it in the wall, electricity comes through, and then the whole thing lights up. There's a whole mechanism there where the electricity is, is carried through into the, into the bulbs, and there is, a whole, there is a whole machinery there that allows the lighting up. But the electricity is the thing. So it's absolutely fine to look at the brain mechanisms connected with spiritual awakening. Because uh, uh, of course they're there. They're also divine and they're also part of the divine logic and they also do, and this is exactly that principle where things will happen because experience is primary and behind that consciousness is even more primary. So all of that's happening within a field of experience. Reality itself is based on experience, what we feel. But we're so caught in this kind of keeping control from the left brain of everything, <laughs> dictate experience, decide what we should feel right now. Mm. 
And if we feel something unfortunate, like killer rage, or, or suicidal impulse, yeah, exactly. Then we should do something with that feeling. We should kind of like it's not happening. We should deny it. We should repress mm. it. We should keep a, a, a control over this what is a universal ocean of experience and of course that why resistance. because otherwise the horrible thing will happen which nobody will mention but it's it's very very horrible indeed if we yes. don't control it <laughs> if and we the, have a feeling the, the not mentioning it and the resistance to the experience of it is in my experience the greatest suffering a, a suicidal thought in and of itself is not harmful it's not dangerous it's not bad it's not shameful and when that is resisted as being all those things there's suffering if, if, if that thought can be shared with another articulated with another or just seen with that additional spaciousness that can happen then it's really no problem whatsoever um yeah. You know, in a way, it's not even, we're not even sure if, you know, when I think I'm, I'm going to kill myself, maybe it's a collective thought. Right. Maybe that's it's what we're doing as do humanity. Yeah. And we, 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 we touched on that earlier, this sort of connection between the micro and the macro as above, so below. This internal self-loathing, this internal guilt that has been programmed into the human nervous system for so many eons by so many institutions and systems and all the rest and we are observing this trashing this uh, self-loathing this this poisoning this uh, destruction of this holy body of Gaia of, of mother earth uh, and this great pause perhaps we have had that opportunity to to see this more clearly mm -hmm. To, to, to nourish our bodies more with enough zinc and D3 and connection and friendship such that our immune system is well able to deal with whatever comes its way. And, and also looking out at the world to, as you say, see these infinite possibilities that that closing down of the global economy uh, offers, a, offers a glimpse yeah. into yeah. what was seemingly previously impossible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just, you know, also... With because it's you know it's not just any old thing it's the coronavirus so it's something you can take in through breathing. So what everybody everybody starts to do is to become mindful of their breathing. Yes. yes. <laughs> and, and 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 all the time they're checking inside <laughs> their bodies like that border between atmosphere of a disease like because a disease can feel quite like fearful or threaty or dready or depressed mm -hmm. or this sense of tiredness that's also an emotion so that so that they're, they're constantly checking in like have i got it so they're breathing deeply into the body they're checking into the the atmosphere of of corona we all know her atmosphere a lot of us know her atmosphere by now she's got a whole spirit you know like is, so is it around and some people have most people have experienced at least sensitive people corona coming up to their knees you know even if they haven't officially got it we all have it in a way and so we're in this mindfulness practice breathing into the body feeling our physicality checking is it my kidneys am i okay like really like in a conversation in a whole new relationship with the miracle of being physically alive at all and that's quite fearful but it's also a process of liberating the fear of being mm -hmm. physically alive and any conflicts when every conflict just like the conflict in a spiritual conflict is often reflected in the brain any conflict of the psyche is reflected in the body you know we hold 
contractions. We lock down areas of suffering because we don't want to feel the suffering. And when we lock down an area of suffering, it needs a location in space. So often that location is going to be held physically somewhere. We feel a feeling somewhere, like we feel love in the heart, or we often feel longing in the pelvic area, whether we feel fear in the upper belly. You know, we need a physical location. This is having a vibratory effect on the physical body. And one of the effects is the reduction of vitality. Mm. Like, like, because we don't put our consciousness there, there's no vitality there. So there's a kind of deadening that happens. And all around it, there's a stress that builds up. It's like a, like a rock and all around it, there's, there's, there's energy flowing. And then we begin to have physical pain. And I think it's the same principle is going on of like suddenly mind, body, psychophysical awareness is deepening because of coronavirus, because all the time we're put into this mindfulness with the breath. You know, mind breathing in and out is a revolution. And it started long before coronavirus. It's, you know, the, the, the whole mindfulness revolution. Mm -hmm. But it's not as it's not lame it starts to pull up areas of contraction and areas of restriction and areas of trauma and areas of resistance to being born and feelings of being unwelcome and non-safety being physically alive and bodily shame, all kinds of stuff comes up for healing just through the breathing mm -hmm. consciously. And we didn't even yet get started on what happens when you're next to somebody in a queue and the bugger hasn't got his mask on properly and he's coughing. Our attitude to each other, mm -hmm. how we move with that, you know, mm -hmm. the strain. <laughs> And uh, like we said before, our attitude to authority mm -hmm. and to big brother, all of this. So a lot is getting shaken up for, uh, into the field of infinite possibility. And the one realization that's needed is that even if we're locked down, we are free. Mm -hmm. This is actually of service to the realization of a freedom which can't ever get locked down. Mm -hmm. You see, maybe that's the, easy, the simplest way to say that... Uh, uh, the collective process that we're in, which is also an intimate individual process. It's like a process of freedom. You know, Nelson Mandela was one of the kings of prophets of our generation to talking about freedom, and he mastered that in prison. As so many life. thousands, hundreds of thousands have yes, gone through exactly. physical incarceration exactly. in order to know exactly. an inner freedom. I taught yeah. in a maximum maximum security prison and there were one or two individuals when i walked in they'd been there for 20 years and it was clear the moment i saw their full lotus position and sparkling eyes what they had been <laughs> doing with their 20 years and how well they had been utilizing their time the buddha was there before my eyes yes. uh, so may that be our wish that more beings find liberation in this time of lockdown that that be the ultimate and that it should uh, be as merciful and painless as possible and that's hmm. the service that wish that it will go easy the, the, you know godspeed that it will go as as with as little pain as possible mm -hmm. and and partly that's the movement of passion this realization that this pain is of service and it's not about the separate self it's of service to the whole and then this energy rises up of offering which changes the whole physiology of suffering. It changes the whole psychogeometry of suffering. There is this now, this recruitment of every emotion that has been condemned is now bringing its vitality in service of the whole. And, and that's so deeply healing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I feel that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Georgie, we're recording this, what are we, in November? 
I believe your book, Non-Dual Passion, is out in, did you say February of next year? No, it, it, we will launch it. Uh, it's out already. It's available already. But we still have to have the party and we were waiting for the air, for the storm to pass. And apparently the storm won't pass. So we'll have a party in the storm. Uh, Got it. Somewhere in February, we're planning an online book launch. Yeah. Well, I, I thought I had a sneak peek, but I've got a peek. So I'll look forward to reading that in the coming days. And I wish you all the greatest success with sharing the book with the world. I'm looking forward to reading it myself. And thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for all you've contributed to Love and Truth Party over the years. And thank you for taking the time to, to join with me today. It's been a delight and a joy as always. Thank you, Will. Thank you for being you. <laughs> you know, you are, you are the king of passion. You are the, you are the alchemy of passion is, you know, a living, not for nothing. Uh, uh, I, I sent you the book. It's like, well, Will will get this, you know. Yeah, I'm now even more you eager. Can write the sequel, you know? <laughs> when it becomes a bestseller, I'll, I'll write the forward. They'll think, "Who's this guy, Will Pye, writing a forward?" But I'll, I'll, I'll do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> you could already do that. I'll add it in. <laughs> I, I, I look forward to that. It'll be my first forward. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Thank you, Georgie. I look forward to our next conversation. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And thank you to everyone listening and watching. I appreciate your attention and presence. Please visit uh, loveandtruthparty.org to join our community. Download or order love letters. Become a New Earth Ninja if you feel to. You can also register for our occasional newsletter and, of course, connect on social media. And consider a financial gift at loveandtruthparty.org or you can find Will Pye on Patreon. If you find these episodes of the truth lover valuable they're a gift from myself and my team to the world they do cost money to produce and if you'd like to spare a little uh, money to support their production and that would be gratefully received as well thank you to all of you who have given your support already together we are creating kind conscious courageous human community <laughs>